Warning, this episode contains adult language, mature situations, a wrongfully accused protagonist looking for revenge, conspiracies upon conspiracies with one end goal, Luis Guzman as an excellent right-hand man, Guy Pierce once again playing a villain, a faithful book adaptation with a very different ending, and French Revolution caused by Napoleon Bonaparte. Listener discretion is advised. Spark in Motion Picture Review, Episode 11. I swear on my dead relatives and even on the ones who are feeling not too good. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Spark in Motion Picture Review. Spark in's podcast where we talk about movies new and old. I'm your host Zan, Zan Konnichiwa, aloha, bonjour, and what's up? Hey, it's Greta. And we are back for another episode. It's been so long since we've done an actual motion picture review. It's been crazy this year of, well, no real movies. It's been just... Yeah, I mean, we've been doing our Bondathon, but for real movies, it's been kind of a bit. We've been watching a lot of television. Yeah, and also since everything's been closing, there's rumors that they're actually going to be closing AMC and Regal Theaters and other things, which is kind of scary because that's going to change the whole dynamic of the world. It's all going to be digital streaming and movie houses are going to go away. Because I like to go out to the movies. Because, yeah, you do pay extra for popcorn because people say, oh, I don't want to pay ripoff price for popcorn, but that's paying for the theater. It's the whole experience, and that's kind of a cool thing. And like some of the nice ones, you can have like dinner there. And... Or drinks. But we digress. If you want to check out any of our earlier 200 episodes, you can check them out at www.spirekin.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, and various other social media sites. Uh, you can also check out on www.spirekin.com our official review archive where we have all of the Spirekin movie reviews, Spirekin mini movie reviews, and all of the ones for the Spirekin motion picture review, which was the successor to... The Spark and Movie Review. And now that... I think that's all the shameless plugging. Did I forget anything? I think we got it. Oh, wait. Yes, you can email us at Zan. That's X-A-N at Spyrokin.com. And one final thing. If you want to be really, really cool, you can actually go to our official Discord and talk to us and rant at us. And the Discord site is discord.gg forward slash... UU42KFR. That's discord.gg forward slash UU42KFR. You can recommend new films you want us to watch, new and old. We don't care. Just let us know and make sure we haven't reviewed it. And, well, you can also can, you can also participate in all the various cool things we do. So now let's get on with it, shall we? Because it's been two minutes and we've done all of our shameless plugging. So, so besides all of that, let's actually get to some of the things we've been doing before we get to the review at hand. And that is... What have we been watching on TV? Well, we watched the new Mulan. Uh, there's a lot of stuff behind that. We'll do an official review of that eventually. Mini review. It's just there's a lot of um, feelings behind that. A lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, we've talked about in other episodes. We watched um, various little movies here and there, and nothing really new because everything's been canceled. I mean, every movie that we've been rewatching a lot of our favorites. Like, well, a lot of my favorites. And a lot of my favorites as well, but we have been, like, every good movie that we were expecting and excited to watch has been pushed back. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to our uh, James Bondathon, all the James Bond movies, we've been watching all of those, but then No Time to Die, which I've been really excited for, has been pushed back to, to March of next year, so, yeah. Wasn't that supposed to come out, like, April of this April year? April of this year. Uh, Eternals got pushed back. Um... The Witches, well, The Witches is still coming out, but there's so many other movies that were pushed back. It's just it's a little frustrating, so we've been trying to keep ourselves occupied. And I know it's been a while, but we're now back to, things are back to normal. Spyrokin Studios is now kind of a little bit more organized. And Getting there. 
and, and getting there. Yeah, it's exactly. So let's actually get to it because this is actually based on uh, the movie we're going to talk about is one which is kind of near and dear to my heart because of a very weird reason. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know the reason, but let's get to it, shall we? So if you remember the last episode, which I think was Gladiator. <laughs> oh my um, goodness, it was. Yeah. We rolled that one that only the dodecahedron of movies and it dictated on to us be reviewing a movie that was directed by Kevin Reynolds. Now, if you've never heard of this guy, he hasn't done a lot of stuff, but the things he does are very memorable. He directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He directed Waterworld while working with Kevin Costner. So there's that whole issue with that. It wasn't Kevin Costner who directed it. It was this guy. He also did Tristan and uh, Eos Isilda which is a weird movie with James Franco. It's a period piece. And then there's this film, which he directed, which was produced by Gary Barber. And it's based on a novel by one of my favorite authors of all time. And actually someone I was named after. We're talking about Alexandre Dumas. Or Dumas. uh, A very prolific classic literature author who wrote some great stories. His most famous one was The Three Musketeers and The Saga of D'Artagnan. But he's written so many other stories and this one is arguably his most popular work. It's either this or Three Musketeers, depending. I own like five copies of each. I'm weird. But the film we're talking about came out in January 2002. It's 131 minutes. Supposedly there's a director's cut. Never seen it. It was made for $35 million, and it made $75 million. So I think that was actually a soft success, right? Yeah, I think it's a soft success. I believe. Do you call it a soft success? Like, what makes it a soft success? Soft success means that it made its budget back and it made its marketing back. So it had to make... So it broke even. It had to make $17.5 million. uh, No, $17.5 million. Over what it made. So 35 and 17.5 is... uh, 52? So it had to make 52 from 35. So it made like just under it. So soft, a soft hit. So it made its money back, but didn't make all its marketing back. But, but this is box also, office 73 million. 75 million. So it made its money back. And yeah. Then some. But then it had to do the uh, advertising. In fact, the advertising for this was actually kind of big because it was in comic books and in other things. It's such a prolific story. And this is the, I want to say it's the seventh adaptation of the story. Let me just confirm that. This is the... Hold on. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll cut this part out. This is the... One, two, oh, God. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. This is the 25th film adaptation. Not television adaptation, where there's another 32. This is a very prolific story, which... To describe it in one word, or one word... Revenge. Yeah. This is the quintessential revenge story. And it... For me, it's the revenge story that that all other revenge stories are... Based around? Well, compared to. That is very true. Because this is that one which was done. And the original story was written all the way back in 1844. And it's still prevalent to this day. Revenge is revenge. It's timeless. And... And so this is the story is if you haven't guessed it is the Count of Monte Cristo based on Le Comte de Monte Cristo 
and it is starring some great actors who I'm excited to talk about. And the one which was the most shocking in this movie that I didn't expect to see is you had Henry Cavill is in this movie as Albert. Yeah. He's as Albert Mondego, which that's like, and he's a young, it's like, he's not Superman yet, but he's like a, he's a kid, but it's like. He's hey. like kind of, but you still, but now that I watch it like again and again and again, I'm kind of like, hey, that's Clark Kent. <laughs> yep. You have Christopher Adamson as Maurice, Helen McCroy as Valentina Villafor. You have Freddie Jones as Claron, uh, Patrick Godfrey as Morel. You have Alex Norton as Napoleon Bonaparte. He is a kind of like, this is not a young Napoleon. This is Napoleon when he's an old man. And this sets up a lot of things with him. Uh, A.B. Woodington as Danglers, who he always just plays a creepy, skeezy dude, no matter what movie he's in. Yeah. He looks very similar to um, Filch from... Yes, Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, you have Michael Wincott, which he, again, another actor. He worked with him before. He worked with him in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he was playing the sheriff. Not the sheriff, he's playing as a sheriff's assistant. And just, he always, like, he's doomed to play those very, I don't want to say charismatic, but he just has that, it's just his deep, breathy voice. He's got to play a, a villain. Mm-hmm. Like, he's designed to be a villain. And he is playing Armand Dolac, who is the... Uh, warden of Chateau, uh, Chateau, was it Chateau Dif? No, Chateau, um, uh, Chateau Dif, yes, Dif. I, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong, sorry, I'm trying to get the right We're pronunciation. not French. No, we are not. Uh, you have, uh, Dumbledore himself, Richard Harris, playing Abbot Farrar, Faria, the Abbot, who yeah. is the quintessential, he's a teacher. Uh, potentially a bad man and he just his whole thing is it's great and he does a great job because you're like that's Dumbledore but it's not Dumbledore he's like a Dumbledore who's, who's uh without a beard who's also crazy who's younger and dies a really messed up death that's a, that's a hard way to go uh Luis Guzman is in this playing Jacopo who is the Count's right-hand man and someone who... I love him in this. I love that... He takes a very different take on it because in the original story, he's the man that saves the Count. In this one, it's kind of the Count saves him and he indebts himself to him, like saying, I have a life debt to you forever. I I swear upon my dead relatives and the ones who aren't feeling so good that I, I will be your man. Uh, You have... But I also like that his, like, polish isn't there. He sounds like that you put picked him up from like the back street of somewhere current day and you're like say thither and thus yeah. and go be a pirate <laughs> it's like um in uh hail caesar when you have the scene where it's the the cowboy actor trying to speak proper british and he sounds like an idiot yeah it's kind of like that but it's charming with Luis guzman because he's supposed to be a pirate scummy and it works yeah it totally works and when he cleans up he still sounds really good it's like he's like tries to keep it straight, and then he's like, it's like yes. He's like your lady, your lordship. How are you doing today? <laughs> right. Keeps up. You have Dagmara Dominski as Mercedes Montego Ni Herrera, uh-huh. who is the um, in this version is the only love interest to the count, and it's something that they did very differently than this. We'll get into that in a bit, but she does a well. She does an excellent job in this movie's thing. You have 
Franz uh, James Frain as J.F. Villefort, who is I'm surprised he isn't in anything else. He's good as a corrupt a cop. Well, he's not a corrupt cop. He is good as a villain, just like he looks our like he is. could be a good guy. He looks like he could be a good guy, but once you know he's not a good guy, you're like, yeah, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. A bad lot guy. of the villains in this are typecast as bad guys, and they're going to be bad guys no matter what. Even if they're charming, they have that just sliminess about them. And last and not least is someone who I like him when he plays a hero, but he's stuck playing villains because he's so good at it. We're talking about Guy Pierce. Uh, he is playing Ferdinand Montego, and he is so smarmy and just entitled in this movie. And I love that about him, because he does such a great job. Yeah, he plays be- it so well. Being Montego, a man who has everything, but it's not enough. And then even when he like loses, he's still, I'm better than you. Yeah, and he can't contemplate it. And finally, we have... Jim Caviezel playing Edmund Dantes, a.k.a. Zatara, a.k.a. the Count of Monte Cristo. Now, to explain the Count of Monte Cristo easily. He's not a fancy guy with a nice deep fried sandwich. No, he's not. Count of Monte Cristo is a story of Edmund Dantes, a man who was wrongfully accused by his best friend in a plot. He goes to prison and he makes friends with a priest who tells him about fortune in a hidden island. The priest and him try to escape. The priest dies. Edmund escapes, ends up hooking up with a pirate's crew, saves one of the pirates, becomes the essentially the lord to uh, Jacopo. They end up going to the island that he has a map for. He finds a huge treasure, enough money to, to buy... 50 islands to buy everything he could ever want. More and, money than he can spend in a lifetime. In 10 lifetimes. And they have all this money. And instead of him just being like, I'm fine. I have the money. He decides because these men stole his life away for 15 years. He has dedicated the rest of his life to destroying these men in such a way. It's just amazing and wrong at the same time. It's not just, in, and in the movie, there's a scene with Jacopo where he's like, well, listen, I'll go to Paris, bang, 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 they're dead, and then we live like kings. And he's like, death's too good for them. They have to feel everything that I felt. Mm-hmm. And each one gets a comeuppance that is twisted, and is it ironic, you'd say? It's I No, it's, it's like, yeah. Well, except for, well, Mondegos is kind of, they, they make something different about it, but... It's very different, and... It's poetic justice. And in the end, the Count, depending on the version you get... Book uh, versus movie. A lot. There's many differences, and that's one of the big issues I personally have with it, is that there's so much... But it's honest that has been removed or changed, and they had to simplify it dramatically because of how many characters there are in this... In this. But, like, that's, like, with anything, like... Like Pride and Prejudice, depending on which movie you have, they're cutting out sisters, they're cutting out all sorts of people. So, for a good example, in the movie, he is the Count of Monte Cristo, Edmond Dantes, and known as Zatara the Pirate. Mm-hmm. Those are his three identities. In the book, he is Edmond Dantes, the Count of Monte Cristo, cl- clerk chief of the banking firm Thompson and French, who's an Englishman, Lord Wilford, an Englishman who's super nice, Sinbad the Pirate, uh, Abby Busoni, Monsieur Zacon, who is a friend of the Abbot, who 
Number 34, who was his prison ID, but that was the same in uh, the movie. And then the Maltese Sailor. So he's got... Which makes sense, because as a sailor, as a pirate, he can't be under the same name. And he had so many people he has to mess with. It's not just one member, because he's destroying entire families. And one of the major departures, which a lot of people are not too... um, Some people are very upset about is the fact that his real love interest is completely just taken out of the movie. Out of the the movie. And that is Heidi, who is his slave that was the daughter of Ali Tebelan, who's a major part of his way to get revenge on Ferdinand. And she's a a slave that he eventually frees, and they become lovers. And that's his, like, because he's never going to get back together with Mercedes, because Mercedes eventually finds out and doesn't do anything to help him. But this one kind of makes it more Mercedes is a forgivable character. Yeah. And there are some nice elements about this film, which are done so well about it. Especially with the... the, It's more streamlined and it's more about the revenge and the romance. And I gotta say, it's done really well. And I am a hopeless romantic, so I like that he ends up with Mercedes, Mercedes in the movie the way they did it. Because they took out so many characters. And they streamlined it, and they made Mercedes a more sympathetic character. Yeah. Which is the case. And note, we should have said there's our spoilers, but it's over 20. It's over 18 years. It's past the expiration date. So, what else can we say about this film? Uh, Well, first off, the acting is on point. And there's some amazing elements in this. Every action is done well. And all the actors do a great job with this. And this is one of those old-fashioned swashbuckling adventure movies but it's done so traditionally i like it when he feels like something new when he rolls up to the house he's like oh my master wants to buy this house and the owner just kind of laughs and then he shows them the the thing full of gold yeah the truck full of treasure and he's like here's the keys thank you and then the big first party he's got the fireworks the hot air balloon the acrobats people the like all just like way over the top and he does so much to be just just to make him not look at me it's the um from catch me if you can mm-hmm. they don't look at me they look at the they look at they're, the they're looking at the right they're looking at the suit they're looking at the flight attendants they're looking at the party the wealth the yeah. house and this the... is the movie that sets that up yeah and it does set up the whole, everyone's trying to meet him, and they don't meet him until... Uh, and you call him a priest, but that's what he calls him in the in the jail. He's not a priest. He's an abbot, but he, he calls himself that. But he was also the man that knew where the treasure was. So he's part pirate. There's more to him. Yeah, he, he became a pirate. He became, after he gave up his situation, he became an abbot. To repent for his sins. And then he went to prison because he wouldn't tell them where the money was. Which is kind of a shame. But it's... I like when they meet. He's such a broken down man. He's like, I forget the exact number. But he says, there are however many stones in He's... the walls of my jail cell. He goes, but have you named them yet? And he just starts to cry like, no. Because it's, it's, he's gone mad because he is... N- completely isolated and so let's actually get to the meat of the story yes for those sorry never seen it so the whole thing is that you have we three digress. friends you have uh ferdinand 
Edmund and Mercedes. And Mercedes and Edmund are kind of in love. And Ferdinand is their rich friend who's kind of nice to them, but he's... He also, like, doesn't work as hard as Edmund does. He... Everything was given to him. Yeah. He's the rich, spoiled kid. That... But he's still like, I'm hanging out with this kid because I'm better than him and he makes me feel good to hang out with him. Right. And they have a game... Kind of like a, when a really hot girl has a friend who's just not as hot so she can be the hot girl. Like, he knows that Mercedes likes Edmund, so he's going to go after Mercedes, so that way he gets with Mercedes and he gets her first. Yeah. It's, it's a pissing contest of who's better, and whenever one of them wins, they get a chess piece, a king. And they say kings to me. Yeah. And they're currently working for a ship. A shipping company. A shipping, shipping company. And due to some issues, the captain gets ill. They have to go to a specific, well, location uh, to get help. And this location is, well, the island of Elba. Which, during this time, which is 1815, the island of Elba, you're not allowed to go to because it's a prison of Napoleon Bonaparte. So... They're holding Napoleon Bonaparte hostage. He's going to go there and just ask for help. They go there. They're going to be shot otherwise, but they beg and plead and say, listen, we just need help. And Napoleon agrees because they're just there to help the captain. And Napoleon ends up talking to him and says, listen, I need a favor. I need you to give a letter to a friend of mine. That's it. But he's like, I'll get in trouble. He's like, no, 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 listen. It's just a correspondence between me and an old friend. That's all. And Edmund is a good person. He's honest. And just, he works hard. He's also illiterate. So he agrees. And when he agrees, he's just talking to the point alone. But Ferdinand sees this. And this leads to Ferdinand finding out. And... Asking him, hey, what was that about? And he's like, oh, nothing, nothing. We were just talking. He doesn't tell him because he promised Napoleon he wasn't going to tell anybody about this. So he ends up they end up going back to port. They tell their shipping company that the captain was killed. And because Edmund was such a good man, and because he was the first mate, he's getting a promotion. He's now going to be captain of the ship. So kings to him. And he can now afford to pay for Mercedes and him to get married Life is great, and he ends up getting arrested. Someone told him that he was a traitor. And he gets arrested, picked up, and the, the constable who is talking to him is uh, Villefort. Who Villefort is pretty much like, uh, he talks to him, he's like, listen, you didn't do a crime, you're just ignorant. Because you don't know how to read, and you just thought you were doing a favor, and this is something really bad. But you know what, I see you're a good person. You're fine. Go about your... Go about your business. And as he's... He's like, but wait. Who was... What was the name of the person you were supposed to meet? Yeah. And then Villaport hears the name of this gentleman who was... Um, his name it was... Uh, Clarion. Monsieur Clarion. And when he hears that, he stops. He said, did you say Monsieur Clarion? Because that's his father. Yes. So he ends up telling him, take my coach. And his coach is a prison cart, which is taking him to... To take him away... So he'll be executed, he escapes, goes to Ferdinand, and Ferdinand ends up, he reveals that he's the one who called the uh, guards on Edmund, because Edmund just, the thing was, Edmund was his friend, he was never Edmund's friend. 
he puts the the he just tells him straight up that he's never liked him and it's just but he puts on a good front for mercedes he says i shouldn't want to be you right and then to as edmund's getting arrested the last thing that he does as a as a friend i think ferdinand grabs the king puts it in his pocket and says think of better times and so Edmund is taken to Chateau La Ilf. They tell Mercedes Diff. and everybody that he's dead, that he was executed, and he's now in essentially water, uh, Blackwater. He is person non gratis. He's just. Prisoner. And he's like, why am I here? Why am I here in this prison? They're like, because they don't want you. He yeah. goes, I'm innocent. He's like, everybody is. No, but he's like, I know you're. He, and he's like, I know you're innocent. A couple people in here are innocent. That doesn't matter. They want you gone. And we, have a, here. and we have a tradition here. Every year, starting with the first day you appear, we give you lashes based on how many years you've been here. And so that's the only way he knows how to chart time. Because at first he starts writing, uh, trying to do hash marks to say, I've been here this many years, I'm innocent, screaming. Her however many days. And then he starts going crazy. Then he tries to kill himself. And then who burrows into his cell but... The quote-unquote priest. The abbot. Who who they end up becoming friends. The abbot teaches him. Every time you say abbot, I want to go, Hey, abbot! No, but that's what he was. He's a abbot. He's a friar. And he ends up teaching him. And I like that he's so happy to be in another cell with someone else when he goes to the abbot's cell. He's like, oh my god. He's like happy. Well, no. At first, it's when the abbot gets to Edmund... Edmond's cell, there's a a port, a, a window-ish thing that he goes, I can almost see out of it. Can I stand on your shoulders? And it's the most beautiful thing he hasn't seen outside. In 20, in 20 years. In 20 years. And so, and then, but then when they go back to the quote unquote priest's cell, there's a table and a chair and a slab that's made out like, like a bed and he's like, was just Edmund was just excited to sit because he had nothing. Yeah, he had a floor. But as you you see, the one thing is that the jailers, yeah, they beat up the friar, the abbot, but abbot was polite to them always. He'd always so say please, thank, please thank and you. thank you whenever they gave him food, and that comes into place there. So, and when he looks out the window, he's like. I was off by, was supposed to go uh, west, and I went northwest instead, so we gotta go this way. So He's they, like, but now I know which way I'm going. So they can escape. So he's gonna help uh, Edmund escape, and so they start working together, and he starts teaching Edmund how to read, how to write, strategy, intelligence, and he's making Edmund to a very smart man. How to fence? Yes. He started out as just a man who was just kind of like, I'm an innocent person, but then he becomes cultured, because he's learning all the things that the abbot taught him and they're there for many years it's because the first it's six years the first time before when he first meets the abbot when he's in prison and that's uh 11 years and that's another seven years so it's that's 20 years no six 11 and seven well it's the mercedes son's 17th birthday so so, so that math still doesn't make sense though it because, doesn't make sense but anyway so so we'll say 17 years. He's 17 years in prison, but he had a year to set everything up. So 16 years. So 16 years. No, it's his 16th birthday? 17th. 17th. So, but either way. So long story short. Uh, they start to dig. They finally, things are working out. They 
get to see light in their makeshift tunnel. However, due to them finding roots, turns out that the ceiling is not strong enough and it collapses and kills. Their tunnel was too shallow. Yeah. And the priest dies in it. Yeah, so they don't know what to do. And he's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so he takes the priest, brings him to his cell, throws him up there and hides and waits. And they say, uh, they give the priest food and they wait and nothing happens. Like, wait, what's going? And they see him dead. He's like, like the first time in, in 20 years that he's never said he didn't say thank you. So they're going to get rid so of they him. they look. So they wrap him up and then <laughs> you have Edmund switches places with the priest in the body bag, which are going to throw over the side. And long story short, he escapes in a really cool way. And then to just... Added dessert because you do see that um, the warden ages, and that's something I really love about this movie. You see him as a he has long black hair, and then at the end he's got gray hair and he looks just ragged and just like I hate this job because I'm a prisoner here too. Yep. But he ends up dying. He goes away. He lands on a beach. He's perfectly fine, and then he turns around and, and there's, there's a bunch pirates who who are there, and he's like he's like hey, <laughs> they're like oh hey I've I guess you're one of the residents of Chateau Deef. It's like, uh, yeah, no, I would just say, well, well, listen, you found this, so technically we should kill you, but my men want to have some fun. We have a traitor. You knife fight with him, and if you win, you could join our crew. If you lose, you die. What if I don't want to join the crew? Then you both die. And he's like, well, I've always wanted to be a pirate. I've always wanted to sail. No, he has a, it's like, it's not that. It's like, I've always been interested in a, in a life at sea. Yes. And so they end up getting in, so he ends up fighting Yakimo and wins because he's learned how to actually sword fight. Even though Yakimo is the best knife fighter, he knows how to fight uh, fencing. And he, yeah. And he tells Yakimo to stay down. And instead of killing him. He says, this man's life is mine. Because it's a, a fight to the death. Instead of killing him, they say, he strikes a bargain. He goes, okay, so now you have two men who can help on the crew. You have you have seen some sport. Victory, you know, your men should be happy. Let's let's not kill him. And so they agree and he becomes friends with uh Louis Vampa, who is the the captain, and they're like he ends up working with him and they're gonna both go off. They go to Marseille and he goes visit um Mercedes' father, who's now blind, finds out that his own father killed himself, mm. and that Villafort and uh, Danglers, the original first mate, because he was the second mate, but he helped out the captain, so that's why, because he did a good thing, he got promoted, and Danglers was kept a, as a first mate. Yeah, Danglers of, was supposed to be the next in line, but he didn't want to save the captain's life. So, he, all three of them were involved in this plot. And it's a huge plot. So he's decided he's going to get the money. They find the money. The money is absurdly wealthy. It's like 30 treasure chests. And they only need two of the treasure chests to be wealthy. Two. and To be crazy wealthy. It's like stupid amount of money. And so he's got to make a rename himself. So he becomes the Count of Monte Cristo. He ends up buying. Like you said, he strolls up to one of the most opulent houses in Marseille and says, I want to buy this. He's like, I'm not going to. This is my family's home. He's like, here you go. The guy's like, okay, looks like I'm moving to another country. And so from here, it begins the, the cat and mouse game of him setting pieces to set everybody up to reveal themselves. And each one has their own little event. 
uh, first off, he sets up uh, um, Ferdinand's son to be kidnapped, and then he rescues him to make him endeared to... Well, part of it, too, is that he wanted to bring all of the people that were involved in putting him away together. And And since that whole incident happened, they've been trying to split ways so that, you know, no one connects two and two. Yeah, and unfortunately, Ferdinand is not sociable at all, so he had to force himself to to save Albert. Yep. He does the whole thing, saves him, and then he invites him over. He uses his pirate friends. Yes. And then at... He's invited to his 17th birthday where, surprisingly, surprise, surprise, Ferdinand the drunk, the asshole, isn't even willing to give his son a... Birthday speech. Which is apparently a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of like you are throwing your son the birthday. It's like the toasts at a wedding. It's it's the thing. And he doesn't want to do it. And it's going to be Mercedes is going to do it. And he gets up and says this very... I've asked very... Gracious. Graciously that the host has once again allowed me the great honor to... So he saves face for them. And and gives a beautiful speech. And he's like the high muckety-muck. Everyone is enthralled because he's the man with the most money, with the most prestige, with the nicest home, with the... Which is making everyone interested because it's making uh, Mr. Danglers interested to steal his money because he finds out that there's something up with that. You have Villefort who's trying to cozy up to him because he needs some donations. And uh, Ferdinand, uh, Monte Cristo, has been buying up every single bank that he owes money to because he's not a very good businessman and is calling and everything he's, in. And he's gambling and... Um, he's pissing away his fortune. And Ed- Edmund has casinos and he's like, are we you know, taking... He's like, we don't even have to cheat. He's just losing all of his money. Yeah, it's just, he's terrible at it. Yeah. And he loses everything, and just Edmund's like, yep, so I'm just destroying him. But the thing is that... He doesn't have to destroy him. He's just standing there watching him destroy himself. And Mercedes is in a horrible marriage to this guy, and you found that she the reason why she married him is because she was pregnant with Edmund's kid. So Albert is Edmund's son. Plot twist. And more importantly... When he does the speech, she's watching the Count, and she sees he has certain tics that Edmund had. And then she's convinced it is Edmund. And she actually like goes into his, his carriage and tries to be like, "You tell me, what are you, some sort of spirit? Why are you doing this to me? He's like, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, you, uh, you are Edmund. You are you have to be. And he's like, no, Edmund Dantes is dead and leaves. And that's the... She says, I never told you his name. No, she said Edmund, but she never said Dante's, and that's yeah. how she knew. And Zatanna ends up telling her and brings her to him, and he's like, I'm going to kill you. He's like, listen, you have a woman who loves you. What the hell's wrong with you? Like, this is part of the plan. Take it. Take love. Choose happiness. Don't be alone. And, and the, he's so pissed off at Yakimo, and he's like, listen, Zatanna, I told you I'd protect you from everybody. But even yourself. Yep. And that's a great scene because it shows how loyal he is. He would have killed them a minute ago, but now he's like loyal because he saved them. And he's like, don't ever do that again. Yeah. And, the, and pretty much at the end, everybody gets their just desserts. Danglers, who is going to steal everything, ends up on a pirate ship, which turns out that there's no... All the boxes are empty, and the cops show up saying, oh, you're trying to steal from the Count. And the Count shows up, and 
they get into a fight and I just love the fact that he's he holds me like who are you he's like he's like I'm the Count of Monte Cristo but my friends call me Edmond Dantes and he just kills him right there and just so he knows he gets all tangled up in the rope and he hangs himself yeah very uh, Clayton from Tarzan yeah and then Villa 4 he ends up admitting everything because he kind of tortures him in a sauna and all the cops are waiting listening to him admit that he's done some very shady shit yeah and destroys his career and then to top it off he's like listen uh you gave me the at the end he realizes who he is and he's like you gave me the option to use your carriage let me let you use my carriage and he goes into the carriage which is the the police officer's carriage or the the soldier's carriage and in the back there is a musket. He goes like giving you the gentleman's way out, because he's gonna, he was gonna become a high commissioner and make lots of money, and now he's lost everything. Puts it, a gun to his mouth, and pulls a trigger, click. Yeah. And this Edmund's like, you didn't think I'd make it that easy. Ah. Uh. So yeah, because death is too good for them. And then, ending, uh, Mercedes tells Villafort that Count of Monte Cristo is actually Edmund. No, she tells him that. Their son is actually Edmonds. And he calls her a whore, and then he leaves with the money that he thinks he stole from uh, the Count, because he's been stealing everything. He goes to his old home, and there's four trunks there, and they're all filled with sand, except for one, which has the chest piece. And then you see Edmund, clean-shaven, looking like Edmund, and they get into a fight. And the ending is he bests him. Then he buys Chateau Chief and is going to destroy it and make it a happy place again. Yay! It's such a well-executed film that's just, it's got some great set pieces and something which is also an excellent thing is that this has a subtle soundtrack. It's just the orchestra does it. There's no, like, we're going to throw in music from the 90s or a song. It's just orchestral. But it's multi-layered. And in the beginning, it's just simple and subtle and as the movie progresses, as it gets deeper and deeper, the song gets more and more complex. Same tune, just it, more rich. And it's just as Edmund was. He started out as someone simple and became a very complex individual. And it's... I want to just completely just keep harping on how great this is, but it's an excellent movie. And, and it still ha- holds up today. Like, it doesn't matter when you watch it. Because it's a great period piece, and it's yeah. done well. There's no CG in it. It's so classic. And I've got to say, for practical effects, it's done well. All the actors give it their all, and they're all excellent in this film. And picking an MVP or an LVP is really difficult. Because everybody is multi-layered. I mean, you have Albert, who is so... Uh, innocent and believing and trusting of his father and of the count and when the his father kind of says oh he's a bad man he believes him blindly even though this man does not give two shits about him and he's shown he's never given a shit about him and he knows it but he still it's his father but it's not his father and you have uh luis guzman as at first he is the you know the pirate guy who's gonna fight him but then it's not blind devotion but it's I'm devoted to your mission. I'm devoted to you. I want. I will do whatever you say, but I will protect you from yourself. And then you have the the original pirate captain, who is just a, a charismatic guy. Who's just like, yeah, he's, he's he's like, hey, yeah, I'll be with like, come come join our crew. 
And then they part way as as friends, and then they, he uses them again. A couple times he uses them. Yeah. Constantly, like, whenever I need help, because he helps Pays him, him well. He's like, hey, any time. Yeah, because they become good friends, and he makes his way, and everybody is well-rounded. Uh, and for the big thing, like, Guy Pierce as Ferdinand, it could have been just a mustache-twirling villain, but that's not it at all. He is... He's not... Like, I'm going to rule the world. It's nothing big like that. It's just petty jealousy and a sense of entitlement. That's it. There's nothing else about him. And it works so well when he gets his comeuppance. And Guy Pierce does the most job because he has to play first young Edmund who's so... Uh, not rose-colored glasses, but optimistic. A little bit. He's a little, he's a little blind to the bad in the world. He, He's also someone who believes in the best of everybody, and he becomes very jaded, like, from where he is in the beginning to where he is near the second act, where it ends. They're two completely different men, but they've gone through so much stuff, like, all the hatred that's built up in him over the 17 years. Just the rage. Yeah. And then, of course, you have to bring up, uh, at the ending where he gets catharsis, which, it's a little hallmarky. Which I know that you like. It's very like everything gets tied up in nice, neat little bows, and everything is happy. And I like a happy ending with a movie. I don't. I, I, I love. I'm not ashamed happy of endings. that. It's just part of me is like I think, but that's the thing with all of the films. Every version of the film, like we talked about Lovecraft Country, and they talk about in the movie, he gets together with Mercedes, and that's it's like no, you got to read the book. Yeah, every single version is. It's got the book is so much better, and it's of course the book is always better. Yeah. I wanted to do it for the Spirekin book club review, but I'm like, this book is, I love this book, but it is way too long, and we'd have to break it up into like five parts to the first part of first before he goes to prison, then after he goes to prison, because it's a long, it's a 2,000 page book. It's almost as big as it. You can record it piecemeal. Could do piecemeal episode by episode. If you guys want us to do that for the book review, let us know. Email me, zanspirekin.com, or comment in the Discord. But now, who is your LVP for the movie? I would have to say... Your least valuable player. Napoleon. Really? You didn't like him, how he acted? Yeah. He didn't feel like... I don't know. He just felt like a plot element, nothing more? Yeah. I could see that. I I think it was uh, Monsieur Claron. Because, yeah, he was playing like a father, but he's like kind of a dopey... Because like, he's supposed to be this big thing. And he's like, no, he's just a dopey dad. He's like... And he's just a drunk old man, which wasn't doing anything wrong. Or maybe he was. We don't know. But I just, I I felt he could have been a little better. Now for my MVP, I got to give it to Jim Caviezel. He does such a, I can't keep saying, he is one of the best versions of Edmund Dante's, I think. Except for the book version. For me, it's the priest or what's the? You think of Richard Harris? Dumbledore? I think it's either Dumbledore or um, his loyal subject. What is it? Oh, Luis Guzman? Yeah. He's a very big departure from the book. but I know, but those are like my two favorite. It's like some of my favorite parts. He's like goes around, especially once he gets all cleaned up and he's wearing like Oh, he looks super... The head butler, super handcrafted. The suit's too good for a butler, but the, yet he's he... Super he is, he, he's super fey. He's super I'm here on behalf of my master to offer you 
An invitation? An invitation. Yeah, like, I'm just like... He's like stumbling through it, but he, he gets it. And I love I love the end. He's like, my master offers to take you, wants you to get dressed because he's going to take you and your son out of the country. Yeah. And then she's like, yes, I get dressed. He's like, okay, I'm going to not look. Here you go. He totally would have looked, but he... Oh, of course. So... I think that he's 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 a good MVP too, but I think Jim Caviezel, it's all on his shoulders, and he does a great job playing oh, the totally. levels of it. But then, like Dumbledore, you got the voice; he's teaching him. You got the water droplets, and he's getting his hand through there. And oh, the speed with the, uh, teaching yeah. him all speed. Yeah. Okay. And then that. and then there's that mo that classic mo like so my favorite quotes from the movie. Well, we do the quotes last, but do you have I know, scene? but my favorite quotes from the movie are from him and. He goes, okay, tell me the story again. And he goes, ah, it wasn't until you said the name that he then lit the letter on fire. And he goes, so he destroyed evidence. So this is different. So what is it that made him destroy it? Who is this? Because he, he's teaching him logic. And that's a great scene. Um, I think that I have to also go with the scene with the priest, uh, where he, he's teaching him not to get revenge when he tells him the secret of the treasure. I think that's the scene which is the best. is is such an icon because it sets up everything in motion. gives him the opportunity. But he says, don't spend it on revenge. Use it to live. Even though he uses most of it on revenge. Quite a bit of it. And we'll post our, as usual, we'll put our, our quotes at the end of the film. Uh, at the end of the podcast. But... Yeah, I th- and but like my favorite quotes are are him. And I think the the most iconic scene is when he finally confronts uh, Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I have to give this movie. A, I'm going to give it a really, really, really fucking cool. Yeah, it's not a perfect adaptation, but it's one which it's got the essence of the story, and it's well done. And it's a story which can be told over and over again. It's simple. It's easy, and it's one you can understand. Yeah, I agree. I think buy it, own it, watch it regularly. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, we haven't done this in a while, so I actually have to get out this something. But the dodecahedron? Yes, so meanwhile, while we vamp a little bit, or you can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.spock.com. You can know me personally at Zan, that's xspock.com. You can check out our other podcasts, including the our Television Tuesday, our manga review, our movie review, our, our anime review, our con guide, which we haven't done any cons recently. We've done virtual cons. Yes, and I still haven't released the the uh, League of Conventions report, which I really have to do. Because that was interesting. Anyway, so let's actually get to it, shall we? It's time for that one, that only, the Dodecahedron of Movies. Last time I got to roll, so it's just this time. It's you always get to roll. I know. Uh, so the guest always gets to roll or the co-host. So how it works is the dodecahedron is a 12-side object, and we have 12 sides on it. And what we're going to do is we're going to roll. And if it lands on any the nine movies that we've selected are the ones that we can review. Now, I know that's confusing because I said nine movies, but it's a 12-side object. Well, the reason why is one through nine are the movies you can choose from. If it lands on 10, it is co-host choice. If it lands on 11, it's roll again. And if it lands on 12, it's my choice. And we've got some great movies on this list. A couple that are really cool and some that are kind of disturbing and weird and will scare the heck out of Greta. 
So let's see what we're going to roll. So roll, shall we? Two. Number two. So in the next, ooh, so in the next episode, we're going to be reviewing a movie, which is an adaptation of a Ronald, a Ronald Dahl book. And this one supposedly is getting an adaptation this year. Story about children who smell too much and ladies who are bald with no toes, missing fingers, which have claws in it, and magic chocolate that will turn children into mice. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the 1990s, The Witches. One of the creepiest movies from a long time. I will honestly admit, I've never seen it. You've really never seen The Witches? Really never seen it. I think I've seen like... Parts of it, like previews, but I've never actually seen the movie. Because that movie's right up your alley. It's not like, ah. Yeah, I don't know what I was watching. I was probably watching Babysitter's Club or something. Hmm. Well, that's on our list for next time. So we're going to do that. And then after that, we have a couple of ideas for theme months coming up. Because we've just about done with our month of our bond year. Well, it's not more than a year. That's why it's a thon. It's a bond-a-thon. Yes, but our next theme month, it's either going to be, uh, well, essentially the theme month of Hitman, but we have a cool name for it. Uh, it's going to be a Hitman theme month, movies based on assassins. It's going to be a theme month based on Cthulian films, which I think you might be a little squeamish about. A little bit. But you've gotten good with some Cthulhu stuff, so might be good. Maybe. Yeah, we'll watch it during the day. And then the other one is a theme month of old school... Movies that deal with the black and white period. I love black and white movies. You know, films that involve people named Spencer and other people named Tracy and people named uh, Audrey and other people who are named uh, Rock and James. Ava. No, there's no Ava. Oh, Ava Gardner. And who was in um, The Thin Man? So, either way. With that in mind, this is Greta, and my favorite quote of the movie is... At 72,519 stones in my walls. I've counted them many times. But have you named them yet? <laughs> and this is your Hosan for the Spirekin Motion Picture Review at www.spirekin.com. And my favorite quote from the 2002 adaptation of Count of Monte Cristo is going to be... Life is a storm, my young friend. You will bask in the sunlight one moment, be shattered on the rocks the next. What makes you a man is what you do when that storm comes. You must look into that storm and shout as you did in Rome. Do your worst, for I will do mine. Then the fates will know you as we know you. As Albert Mondego, the man. Thank you guys for listening. It's always a pleasure. You guys make this show awesome. We're going to keep doing this as long as we can. So keep watching movies and catch you guys next time. Bye.
finally hit something. Being your friend is always an adventure. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Edmund Dantes had a promising future. And a love. I missed you so. That any man would envy. As soon as I can afford the ring, we'll I win. I don't need a ring. I don't. You're under arrest by order of the magistrate of Marseille. I demand an explanation. It was you? Why are you doing this? It's complicated. I didn't quite understand why you were betraying him, but now, having seen this exquisite fiance, I understand completely. I am innocent. This idea is that Edmond Dantes has been executed. My advice, take solace in the comfort of your good friend. No! You were a soldier. Teach me the knife, the sword. Oh, good! Too good. Let's walk of escape. In return for your help, I offer something priceless. The treasure of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Follow the clues. You are wealthier than any man I have ever heard of. What do you want to buy? Revenge. I will change my identity. I shall become a count. Ladies and gentlemen, the Count of Monte Cristo. Count on revenge. Death is too good for them. They must suffer as I suffered. I'm a count. Not a saint. The Count of Monte Cristo. If you ever again presume to interfere in my affairs, I will, I promise, finish the job I started the day we met. Do you understand? I understand you are mad. Mad? My enemies are falling into my traps perfectly. Mad, Your Grace, for ignoring this. You have a fortune. A beautiful woman who loves you. Take the money, take the woman, and live your life. Stop this plan. Take what you have won. I can't. Why not? I am still your man, Satara. I swore an oath. I will protect you. Even if it means I must protect you from yourself. I'm curious, what's the significance of a chess piece? Oh, it's just something we've done since childhood. Um, whenever one of us has had a victory, king of the moment. King of the moment. <laughs> In life, we're all either kings or pawns. Kings and pawns, Marshal. Emperors and fools.